Welcome to the Infinite Worlds Podcast. Yo, kids, is Nick the Tooth, and today I am joined by my co-host and publisher of the Infinite Worlds magazine, Winston Ward. All right, this week we are talking about Dune by Frank Herbert. Woo! Good one, huh, bro? Yeah, man. Dude, this is one of my favorite subjects, uh, one of my favorite books. I'm just, I, it's been a big inspiration to me since I was young. I know it's a favorite of yours as well, a favorite of the fans uh, on the Instagram page as well. So this will be, this is a really interesting podcast. We talk about a lot of different stuff. I love, you know, the cool thing about Dune, and, and I love bookending this podcast with the first one that we did is on Star Wars, is it really is kind of like the antithesis of Star Wars in the sense that it's not family fair, it is adult fair, it is complicated, it is geopolitical, it is, and best of all, he talks about psychedelic. we talk about psychedelics and the influence on it. So, you know, if you're, if you're a little kid listening to this podcast, you know, cover your ears for that part. All right, well, let's jump right into it. So buckle up and enjoy. December what? 15th. How's everything going, brother? You ready for uh, ready for the holidays? Pretty. uh, Yeah, I think I'm ready. I still have a little bit of shopping to do. I I have a pretty small family, but, you know, I try to think about their gifts until the last. I don't try to, but I end up thinking about their gifts until the last minute. So. I check, uh, I typically do all my shopping on uh, December twenty fourth. Yeah, so. I'm a, yeah, I'm a, I'm a <laughs> classic procrastinator when it comes to some things for sure. Oh my gosh, me too. Especially and I've been that. I've been busy. Like uh, we just had the issue two release yesterday. Uh, so I spent the last couple of weeks preparing for that, getting issue so, two. So like, how does that go? So you got you you the printer sends you all of the uh That's right. I do all of my own distribution right now. Uh okay. I, I do my prints are limited edition to a, a thousand mm-hmm. uh, or or fewer. So uh like it's I'm it's a stretch, but it's uh I'm able to do the distribution myself, mail them out or whatever. Um I, I might seek distribution through another company like Diamond or one of the other distributors. But yeah. uh uh, you know, they get a piece of your profit and all that and everything. And I also they have they make demands of you and they might try to get me to pick up advertisers and whatever the hell. And I don't really want to do any of that. Yeah. I mean, why go through that? If, I mean, if it's something you can if it's if it's such a like it's almost like uh, like craft beer or craft wine. Right. Yeah. That's hey, like, I want to keep it. I want to keep it, you know, craft. craft. Yeah. <laughs> craft. Yeah. That's dope, man. Exactly. As soon as you're going to start, you get diamond and then you're going to all of a sudden you're selling out. Yeah, exactly. Like, okay, I'm going to do whatever well, you want. You do. know, if, if they were able to give me some good terms and they make me want to change the content and everything. But, you know, it's just like producers with movies. Like, you know, I want to be the art house director more than, more than I want to be, you know, the studio's favorite. Yeah, I, I think I think you have to make sure that you're uh, you're getting enough money to sell out. <laughs> so you're not, yeah. you know what I mean? You don't want to do it over 1500-ish. Uh, exactly. You know. Oh man, my gosh! But it went uh, all right, you know. That a lot of people showed up. I had some readers. It was really cool. Uh, uh, they they did a really great job. Really entertaining stuff. Uh, oh, that's cool. What What about you, man? How's uh, How's your December going? I'm really hungover right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, you were celebrating, right? I was celebrating exactly. What exactly. What were you celebrating, man? Tell let it. Let's I uh, I competed in Nogi Worlds. Uh, in jujitsu and it was my it was my first black belt tournament so i was super super friggin nervous i'm always how'd you do how'd you do in this i won i won 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 first place yeah yeah first place yeah three fights and uh i won all three of them but it's one of those things man where i i uh i was trying to explain it to someone last night in the bar where and i don't go to bars i'm not like you know i'm out all the time but it was like "Ah, i'm going to a bar but uh I was explaining to someone, I'm like, man, I just get off on like being afraid of something, you know, and putting myself in that situation where I get to feel that like fear. You know what I mean? We talked about that in uh, episode one about like how challenging yourself is really necessary. And not just not just intellectually, just in life in you know, yeah. all the it's just, yeah, and that's it's a healthy thing, man. So you got a good attitude. Well, you know, I it's it's I, I was also trying to t- tell someone I'm like, you know, like. I'm very afraid of heights. Like I hate Winston. I hate heights, man. Like if I go to like up six stories and I'm like even looking at the, out the window, 
it freaks me out, man. It's just like, it feels like some kind of like genetic reaction. And so I, I like to do that too. Like where I put myself in a situation, like when I was down in Ecuador, we did like some like crazy zip lining shit and I'm dude, that shit terrifies me, but, <laughs> but you get a thrill from it. You sure. know, it's not necessarily about, you know, you have to go jump out of a plane, but it's just, you got, you're right. You just have to push yourself to where you're like, okay, I did it. I got a little closer to my fear, you know what I mean? And right. now I understand right. myself a little better. I don't well, know. Well, congratulations, you know, Thank obviously. you, brother. Yeah. Thank so, you, man. Uh, I appreciate it. So we're here today to talk about my favorite uh, sci-fi um, franchise ever, and that's Dune. Oh, man. I'm so excited for this episode. Let me tell you. I know, man. I'm so pumped. And you know what's crazy? I, I, I might have talked about this in the first episode. What what I love about uh, about Dune is that by the time I came to it, you know, decades after it was written, I, I you know, I didn't know anything about Frank Herbert. There really wasn't there was no opportunity to really there was no where were you going to find anything about authors, you know, interviews or anything like that. It just didn't exist. There was no Internet. There was no sure. You, and so, like I was, I've been able to for this podcast. I've been able to actually learn more about him than uh, than I ever been able to. And I, I, I actually have in the past, like re- tried to research like what inspired him. But uh, but it was really cool to watch some videos of him talking and just what a smart, smart guy, man. Let's. Uh, I think we're doing this episode. Let's start by. Uh explaining dune like at least the the setup for the universe for Dune, the dune the original dune novel to our listeners okay for sure uh, and i'll go for it and what's going to happen is i'm going to stumble and and trip and you just i'll be i'll be there i mean hey, listen i know that you're a little hungover so i'll be there to, <laughs> to catch you buddy <laughs> no no it's it, it dune is so cool man it starts with this family um on a planet um Okay, see, I'm already forgetting. Drawing Cal- Caladon. Caladon, that's right. Is where the house of Trades. And the reason I always forget the planet Caladon is because they are there for such yeah, a short sure, period sure. of time. The story, the story begins there, but it, the bulk of the action takes place on Arrakis. So Caladon is this like water. It's like an ocean planet, and every right. they're fishermen. And this is a this is a very almost imperialistic novel novel right. to where it really deals with like dynasties and these different families like royal families it takes place in another part of the universe exactly uh where the the trade there and all that is controlled by uh an emperor intergalactic emperor and a series of uh houses controlled by barons yeah controlled by barons and then you have also so there are these like almost like game of thrones um, like power struggles and it's right. not just about the families you also have like different like the the the, the space guild right. and so you have different guilds that have power and they're almost like big unions and they wield their power against each other and then they get their they create alliances and so this family one of the most important things in the entire universe is the ability because they're living in this vast galaxy just like ours how impossible it is to travel without some type of warp or speed of light, whatever it is. And this is made possible by a spice that is only found on one planet, a desert planet called Arrakis. And that's, the spice is everything in the book. Melange. Yes, yes. And it's and it's cool because it's like it's really um it's really a corollary for an analogy or a metaphor for uh, oil. Right. And and I think that's what we'll get into this in a, in a little bit. But that's one of the great things about the book is it's you realize that like Frank Herbert in writing this, it, he wasn't just inventing things. It was like, no, these are different things in our world. And he took them. And so the book functions as this almost metaphor for geopolitical conflicts. And it's it's fascinating. Right. How, the, uh, uh, the Chome Company, which kind of runs the whole show is analogous with OPEC, the uh, oil-producing eastern countries. And that's a point that uh, Herbert made when he was uh, doing interviews and everything in the after the release of the book. Uh, so Melange does function as a plot device, uh, much like oil does or did in the 60s and still very much does. Hopefully that's starting to change a little bit, but is like an integral natural resource to the function of society. Because because without without the spice there is no travel, 
you cannot right, and, travel planet and to the planet way uh melange enables space travel uh is because a certain group of people generations and generations and generations ago started using melange which uh and long and, and and lengthens your life, but it also uh, creates um, mental capabilities. Uh, different, it manifests differently a little bit for different people. Uh, but these particular group of people started becoming like habitual users, and eventually, after generations and generations, they mutated into like a whole different species, almost uh, of beings that basically breathe melange, and this gives them. And the ability to fold space time itself. So this group of and people. So how, but but how it works is you have an engine, and I think we really learned this in the later books. But there is an the Holtzman engine is what allows them to enter like interdimensional space. But the only way they can navigate interdimensional space is through one of these beings, and these beings become like these mutated massive monsters because right. all they do is intake the melange day and night, twenty four seven. And so, um, and so anyways, this on this planet, you know, which is very much like what the Middle East, it's a desert planet. You've got these groups of, uh, of Middle Eastern, like, uh, or these desert, like tribal people called the Freeman. There's always a plan. There's always a, the emperor chooses a family or a house that, um, that is going to go ahead and live on Arrakis and is going to be in charge of the, the, the mining of, the spice from the dunes and then distributing it throughout the entire, you know, uh, galaxy. And so, um, it's a very prestigious and very powerful appointment. And so what happens is, is that the emperor chooses, um, the Atreides who are, who live on Caladan, but now they're the new family. And so our protagonist is the son. His name is Paul Atreides and he is the son of the, uh, the king. And the so Duke. Is, 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 that, is that his title? The, yeah, he's the, the son of the Duke. Duke, Duke uh, Leto. He, yeah, Duke, Duke Leto Atreides. Duke, yeah, so so Duke Leto Atreides. And so then they come to uh, Arrakis, but what they don't realize is that they do kind of realize it, and they know they're walking into a trap, is that the Emperor had conspired with the old family, the Harkonnens, who were running um, a, uh, uh, Calid- or Arrakis. Arrakis. The spice production, and so they set a trap for them because the Dune is fear the uh, the Emperor is fearing the House of Trades and the power that they're starting to garner within the um, the galaxy. So it's really cool. And so right when they get to Arrakis, they're attacked, and Paul Mondeeb is um, the like the house is attacked. The father is the Duke Leto is killed, and Paul and his mother have to go into hiding in deep in the desert of Arrakis and live with these tribal people called the Freeman. And uh, that's where the action of the plot, don't, we don't, we don't, we don't need, to go, need to go all the way to the end as if there were an end to the story. <laughs> there uh, is an end to the story. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that, that's basically the, the universe in which we find ourselves when we begin to read Dune and uh, explore that universe. And uh, <clears throat> let's talk a little bit about, okay. So in our first episode, we talked about star Wars mm-hmm. and uh, I think we both agree that in a lot, lot of respects, Dune is sort of the antithesis of Star Wars. Like uh, in the sci-fi sphere, it's sort of the polar opposite in some ways. Uh, one, it you know we decided on our last episode. And I don't want to spend every episode trash talking Star Wars. I'm just you know kind of re- <laughs> reinforcing a point we made before. We're kind of you know calling back to that that uh, Star Wars borrowed a lot of its uh, material from Dune, and you know that's pretty Absolutely. widely widely cataloged. Uh, you know, the the action of the first Star Wars movies begins on a desert planet itself. And, uh, you know, a lot of uh, I don't want to say hardcore science fiction fans, but, you know, those who appreciate the deep cuts of science fiction, although it's a stretch to call this a deep cut. It was a worldwide bestseller. It sold like 20 million copies. Uh, but holy it, moly. Uh, it never uh, really translated into um mainstream media because of its failure to be produced as a motion picture really uh i I still think it's you know i know they're doing a new version right now i still think it's impossible i think you don't have a lot of hope for that well well let's hold off on that well how do you you produce a movie of game of thrones you need a series you know what i mean boy there's so much there so rich 
that would be so amazing to see. But uh, I guess for the time being, we're going to have to take what we get. Yeah, um, for sure. Well, so let's start with a little history. I'm going to start with a little history of the Dune and kind of let everybody know where it came from. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, actually, before I do that, before I do that, let, I want to finish the point I was making about um, it kind of being the polar opposite of Star Wars. And uh, the reason I say that is because it was such an original idea, such a completely unique idea, and was so beloved by you know hardcore uh, science fiction fans. Uh, and, and it failed to become a mainstream success, whereas Star Wars, which picked up a lot of its uh, inspiration from Dune and various other previously existing sources, not only became a mainstream success, but became really the measuring stick for science fiction in the mainstream. You know what I mean? It became like the the gate, the science fiction gateway drug almost. And and it seems a little unfair to the people who, you know, appreciate the novels and everything that the science fiction community is built on that that took place. I think a lot of people feel that way. And I, I think a lot of our listeners will certainly feel that way. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I can see that. Uh, but anyway, let's, let's go and do some of the history, man. Go ahead. Okay. Let's hear oh. it, man. Okay. So, uh, Dune was originally released, uh, as a, a series of serialized stories in, an analog magazine in the 1960s. The, uh, and I have yeah. those magazines too. Man, I actually went, I went on eBay and I, I think it was last year and I was like, Oh man, I am going to see if I can find them. And I found them, man. It was like, I think it was, I got them for only a hundred bucks and they're like, that is awesome condition. I you gotta, you're going to have to take some pictures so we can share them with our, uh, everyone when we post the podcast. Okay. Yeah, for sure. And you know what's crazy is I was really like, okay, how much of the text is going to because they serialized it, like I think the whole novel. And I was like, how much of the text has really changed? And I really couldn't find uh, many changes. I, I know as a writer myself, as an author, I, dude, I'm an incessant, incessant rewriter and editor. And um, I, I don't think I could. I don't think anything I did would I would let it sit like that. I, I don't think I would have the discipline to do that. Well, I think he uh, he's pretty he's pretty well known as a very disciplined writer. Was Herbert, from what I could tell. I mean, compiling a story like this would require a great deal of discipline. Just because I can't of the, imagine how long it took him. Did you uh, come across that? Well, he the first segment of the story was published in December of 1963, and it was published in three parts. So from 63. December 63, January 64, and February of 64 in analog. Then he took a year off, and he came back with a five-part series that ran from January through May of 65. And he took those parts and divided them in – he combined them all together and then divided that into three compilations. Mm -hmm. Then then he took all of that, reworked it, and came up with the manuscript for Dune. And uh, he tried to shop it to publishers. He shopped it to over 20 publishers and was rejected by all of them. Even after it was published in like serial form? Because at the time, the uh, common wisdom held that science fiction novels should be very short. Uh, In the 1960s, I mean, the 1960s was the boom of the ace double paperback. Mm -hmm. And that's where people were fitting two science fiction novels in one book length paperback uh, so, so, so I mean, you're you're in publishing now. I'm I'm trying to wrap my head around what the what it was like for fans then. So I can't imagine where you could actually read a novel like Dune in like a publication like Analog and just pick it up. I mean, that that just doesn't. I'm not aware of that really happening now. I mean, I, I it's as a publisher of a science fiction magazine, I'm hesitant to publish serialized stuff myself because i it it seems like a lot of commitment out the out of the gate you know what i mean for something that you have no idea um and and i haven't gotten to that yet and hopefully i do find some things worthy of serialization at some point but that hasn't happened for me so far so i again i could see why it's uh you know gone the way of the buffalo which i guess is a term that doesn't really make sense anymore but uh, (laughs) (laughs) hey they're back (laughs) thanks ted turner uh but Uh, uh, uh but you know what I mean? Like uh, I could see why that sort of uh, faded away, but ho- maybe I could try to have a part and kind of bring that back a little bit. I'd like to maybe try to find something worth that. No. Okay. So anyway, he, 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 
he he shops to over all these publishers. They keep rejecting him, mostly based on length. And then he finally finds a publisher, and it's Chilton Books. And Chilton is known even today as the publisher of auto handbooks. Um, I have. Are you kidding I, me? I, no, I'm not kidding you. Ch- Chilton's guides are found at AutoZone to this day, and that is their main source of revenue is that is uh, right yeah i've seen them for sure dude that's so you know what's crazy to me is that two of my favorite books have this like some of the most i didn't realize that have some of the just craziest publication history from this one where you're like dude i'm gonna go with any publisher i can <laughs> yeah. even who does auto you know and, and and like you said dune is one of the pillars if not the pillar of of sci-fi, you know, and, and another one is uh, Tropic of Cancer by Henry Miller and how that was almost his, uh, Henry Miller wrote Tropic of Cancer, like mm-hmm. in the thirties, twenties, thirties, it was banned almost everywhere. Right. Publishers wouldn't take it. And he ended up his lover, Anais Nin, who was like the first female writer ever of erotica. She's an amazing writer herself. And, uh, Agreed. she was the one who basically put up the money and, and self-published, his uh his his book Tropic of Cancer and Tropic of Cancer is one of the greatest novels ever written one of the most important ever uh, George Orwell uh, said who wrote 1984 he said Henry Miller is almost the only author that counts at this point in history and uh, the only one doing really inventive things with language so anyways I think I thought that was fa- I think that's fascinating it's very fascinating I do love that some of these novels that are just you know part of our collective conscious now are came from these really strange beginnings and nobody ever goes to explore that kind of thing. And that's, I really like that. That's what we're getting an opportunity to do here. Yeah. And I love your, and it, uh, it's not necessarily a science fiction story, but I think even still, you know, these kinds of, uh, origin stories are super fascinating to hear always. Um, so anyway, uh, Dune is a massive success, a huge success. Uh, probably one of the largest science fiction success stories up until that point. Uh, it, so like I said, it's up to this point sold 20 million plus copies, been translated into dozens of languages all around the world. Uh, that the year it was released, it won the uh, best novel at the Hugo Awards. It tied actually with uh, this immortal by Roger Zelazny. Uh, this is the 66 Hugo uh, Hugo Awards, and then it also won the inaugural. Nebula Award for Best Novel. And uh, to date, I think it has something like 13 sequels or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and has had numerous film adaptations, which we will go on to discuss here in a moment. But uh, it entered the the stage with this huge applause. Like it was uh, lauded by critics, by all the other science fiction writers at the time were all just stunned couldn't believe what they had seen here uh, uh and it was like you said like right the standard. is it right upon the novel's release yeah i mean it, it is a immediately seen as being a staggering work of genius like every like everybody else is like wow this is something this is the next level this is next level you know what i mean yeah, it, yeah. it was the book of its generation most people agree now that changed the game yeah <clears throat> and it was only about 10 years this came out in 66 uh, the first Star Wars maybe came out in 77, so it was only 11 years after the release of the book that Star Wars was such a cultural phenomenon, and as we've discussed, it pulled a lot of that from Dune. So in many respects, Dune is the root of science fiction becoming popularized even in the mainstream and you know in Hollywood and all, all of those things. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> um, and then after that's, that— That's fascinating. And then after that, it uh, went on, you know, to have its rights sold several times. And then one uh, one publisher bought the or uh, one producer bought the rights, and then died before he got a chance to try to make the movie. Uh, then eventually, it, it ended up in the lap of Alejandro Jodorowsky, and uh, that's an experimental filmmaker. Some people might be familiar with him. He made some very wild out there films like El Topo and yeah, there was, the Holy there was Mount. Actually- a documentary, right? That that's right. That's right. His, his attempts to make uh, to make Dune. Have you have you seen the documentary? Yeah, yeah. Oh man, it is such an entertaining movie. Right. Uh, and if you guys at home haven't uh, had a chance to, what's the check, name of it again? It's just called Yodorovsky's Dune, okay. and uh, it's uh, not the film 
Dune because that never got made. It's a documentary about his attempt to make Dune and his basically uh, his plan for what the film would be like. And it would have been something else. Uh, Let's see. He had arranged to have music done by Pink Floyd. Mm -hmm. He had art direction from H.R. Giger, Chris Foss, and Mobius, Jean Giraud. Uh, He had special effects by Dan Bannon. Dan Bannon, by the way, wrote Alien and oversaw the visuals for that. He was one of the creators of the heavy metal film. He also directed The Return of the Living Dead and uh, wrote Total Recall, the Arnold Schwarzenegger version of Total Recall. And this movie would have starred. Yeah, it's, you know, you watch the documentary, you're like, man, I wish, I don't know if it would have been a great film, but I sure would have liked to have seen it. Well, it would have been cool. Being a good film, I don't know if that's, it's really hard to judge a Yodorovsky project as good or bad because his stuff is so abstract sometimes. Yeah, so you know what I mean. I'll so it's seeing out there, and but this movie would have starred Orson Welles, David Carradine, Mick Jagger, and Salvador Dali. As, as I know. Elite. I saw the Salvador Dali. I was like, <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, and it was uh, apparently Frank Herbert went to visit, uh with Yodorowsky to discuss some of the production. And he came back and said that the script was as long as a phone book and that he expected that the movie would be 13 hours long. Anyway, that's, I, see, that's, <laughs> that's my point though, Winston is that <laughs> this, you cannot make a right. movie about Dune. It's too complicated. You can't make a movie about game of Thrones either. You have to make a series. And, and I uh, think you know, that's where this is. This new one is, I, you know, it's like the Lynch one. It's like it's going to be it's probably going to be a great companion piece if you are familiar with the universe and, you know, you know the story. But, man, it's just so complicated. Um, that is I could not be illustrated better by the next thing that happened, which was the movie. Uh, the rights got bought by Dino De Laurentiis. Uh, after uh, the production, the pre-production fell apart for uh, Yodorovsky, the, a few years later, Dino De Laurentiis ended up with the rights, and he produced a version. And at first, he hired Ridley Scott of Blade Runner fame uh, to direct the movie Alien and Blade Runner. But uh, Ridley Scott, I guess, lost interest or possibly became overwhelmed. I think possibly he had the same idea you have that what was happening, what was being asked of him, which was just impossible to do. Uh, anyway, he bowed out and then was replaced by David Lynch, who at the time was actually really a hot director because he was coming he was coming off of uh, Elephant Man, which, Elephant had won, Man I know. <laughs> which had won Best Picture a few years before that. And he was really a hot commodity at the time. Um, oh, yeah. And, and, and everyone was thinking, wow, we're going to make the next Star Wars and make a billion dollars. Oh, that is, and that was exactly what the the Laurentiis thought when this was happening. And instead, they ended up in. I have a great deal of respect for David Lynch. I I personally enjoy his off kilter, bizarre sort of sense of humor and uh, sense of weirdness. But he himself admitted that he was never a fan of Dune. Like he didn't he didn't know anything about it when he took on the project. I wonder why he took it on then. I mean, if he had his choice of doing whatever projects he wanted. Uh, why would he do? Why would he take it? I'm. I don't. I could, wish I could answer that. Uh, he's uh, since the movie was released, and I just watched this movie last night. Like after okay. we uh, after we did the magazine release, we my wife and I came back to the house and I asked her what she wanted to do, and she's like, "Let's watch Dune. Let's let's put that on." Uh, oh, that's so cool. Man, it was a very sweet gesture from her. Let me tell you, uh, <laughs> because we've actually. Uh, um, Having tried to do it before, and she couldn't find interest in it. We watched the whole thing last night, and she rather enjoyed it. Um, I, I, you know, I, I have I have a couple versions of it. One of them I have is like a I don't know if it's necessarily a director's cut, but it's a long cut, and it's got some. Um, it almost like has storyboard elements in it underneath more oh, extended cool. voiceover, and it's pretty cool. It's not. It's the quality. You you don't watch it and go, wow, that's all. You know, right. it all make it all works, but it it actually really uh, fleshes out the story a little more than the original version. Um, and I think one of the big failings of it. I watched it last night, and there's there's a lot 
wrong with it. There's a ton wrong with it. But it also does a lot of things that are really nice. Like I think some of the like a lot of the visuals are really cool. He took some liberties, you know, he made the Bene Gesserit's bald for whatever reason. I love that though, man. That I do. I agree. I do. It's not cool. in the book. There's no, there's no trace of that in the book, but it's super recognizable. You know right? what I mean? And it's, it's, a, I personally think that was a cool element on his part. And, uh, you know, there's a number of other elements, just design work and they look good. I think there's a lot of cool looking stuff in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. But he tried to fit all of that lore into a two hour long movie. Um, and so it ends up having these really clumsy voiceovers, like disguised as like inner monologues by the characters. Yeah. yeah. And like points being repeated over and over and over and over again to try to make sure that the, the viewer can have an idea of what's going on. And even with all that, it still kind of comes out a sort of a confusing mess. Yeah. Uh, I mean, some, some stories just lend themselves to one medium, you know I mean? And then, for me, the novel, the ability for the writer to go in t- interior into the in- interior of characters, you just can't really do that on uh, on film. You can't uh, catch it. And I, it? I, it's a great question. And there are so many projects, uh, especially related to science fiction, that have this uh, this cloud hanging, the same exact cloud hang over them. People have been trying to produce a high quality HP Lovecraft adaptation since the fifties. And, you know, as to now there really isn't anything that you could say is the, I mean, other than definitive, you know, there's no definitive love. Apparently there's another, there's one in the works now, another attempt in the works now, but we'll see how that works Which out. Story? You know? Which I, story was it? I'm not sure. Actually, uh, this was, at you know, uh, just kind of flicked through on my social media feed and I saw something about it. Uh, you know, you know what I like about the, the the story Dune, and I was looking up some of this last night. Is I had read multiple times about how um, Herbert was such a you know historian and into economics. I actually saw an interview with him where he's talking about that. He's like, listen, you know, as as a writer, I'm not necessarily like I said earlier, creating things. I'm taking things from our world. And I found out there was a book that he really borrowed from called The Sabers of Paradise. And what was really cool about that is they went it, this this book talks about the in the Russian, the Caucasus Mountains, the Muslims there, how they were, you know, they're like these desert people. I've been to Chechnya in the desert, in the mountains there and uh, really, really sweet, nice people, but very, very tribal, very, very tribal. Very desert, very even today. Like I saw people riding horses, et cetera, mm. and um, and how they were resisting invasion from the Russian imperialists, the czars, and um, and there was this constant fighting, and that constant fighting, even when I went to Chechnya, what was it like five year, four or five years ago? Before I realized what a freaking terrorist nightmare it was there. None of that had really come out come out at that point. Just to let you know, after I came back, I think it was within six months, there was a report that Kasarov, who uh, runs uh, Chechnya, that they had started concentration camps and they had started rounding up any any people suspected of being gay or any political dissidents and they were tortured oh yeah i had i do recall hearing something about that oh my gosh and i uh and chechens heard... are always portrayed in movies as being like you know uh hitmen and that kind of thing like you know they they call in the chechens when they want something brutal done <laughs> right it was it was one of those things man and i you know the people or the general people like everywhere were really sweet you know but oh i i don't expect i let me be clear. I'm sure Chechens are lovely, lovely people. I'm only yeah. No, it's that military the... arm. But but Winston, what you're saying is relevant because you know they even when I went there, there were just bombed out parts of of Grozny, which is the capital of Chechnya, where they had been. You know, they just got out of war with Russia again. They've been in. They had been involved with almost twenty, fifteen, twenty years of just civil war with. With Russia, that's how these people are. So when I got there, um, the like the kids and the, they had never really gone to school because as soon as they could carry a gun, they were carrying a gun and they were out there fighting the Russian military. And so it was it was really fascinating that Frank Herbert took you know borrowed so much from this book um, 
and when he created the Freeman who live on so a So is this a uh, this book? What was it called again? It was hold on, let me look it up real quick. I think it was called The Sabers of uh, Paradise. Um, yeah, was, The Sabers of Paradise. And is it's this a fiction about book or a nonfiction one. book? Um, it's a fiction book, but it's oh, okay. based on, you know, it's a, fi- it's a novelization. It's not of a science that. fiction book. It's set in, uh, it, it's not a science fiction right, book. Okay. No, it's not. Um, and so, but it was, it was just cool because, you know, that's how I, I love the parallels between, you know, some of my favorite creators th- that it's, it, this is how they do things. Like if you look at, like we talked about George Lucas creating star Wars, I mean, he's just sitting there and he's going, Oh, I'm going to borrow. I want to borrow samurais. I want them to be like, uh, Buck Rogers. I want them to be, you know what I mean? Flash Gordon. I want them to share this. I want them to do this. And, and, and Tarant- Quentin Tarantino, you know, where he's taking scenes, I'm going to put all these things together. They create this prestige. And that's exactly what, uh, Frank Herbert did. Another thing that I saw, uh, this is an amazing article. It talked about how Frank Herbert was such a fanatic for just growing mushrooms on his property. And it talked right. about how when mushrooms would, uh, when they would go start to rot, he would put them in like a, a water slurry. I mean, this is how into it he was. Okay. And he would let them start to ferment and then he would pour them around the trees and these things would grow mushrooms. And so he was really, really into like psychedelic experiences. And that is one of the cornerstones of dune and and what the you know because for him it was okay the spice and this was a genius right the spice is analogous to oil but the spice is also an analogous they call it an entheogen which it means that it's like a plant that you take and it allows you to connect with god and so that's what you know there the a big part of joseph campbell's uh hero's journey has to do with going through these rites of passage right do like Luke had to do it in Empire Strikes Back, where he had to train with Yoda, and then he had to go into the cave and face his deepest fear and face himself, which was himself. And Paul had to do the exact same thing. It's the hero's journey. He had to put his hand in the box. That's well, he had to put his hand in the box to test whether he was human and whether he had enough discipline or whether he was an animal. And does it, you know, could he separate himself from like an animal? Here, here was the gist of it. An animal is always going to react where a human can feel st- can have stimulus and can judge the stimulus without allowing the response to happen. So if I put your hand near a fire, if I put a dog's hand near a fire, the dog's going to pull his hand back. But if you're being tested in this fire and you're going to you can make the decision to let your fingers burn. And so that's kind of what the box was. But also he had to when he got to, when he went to Arrakis, there was this prophecy with the uh, with the Bene Gesserit that said there is going to be one who is going to come and they are going to go through this ritual, this rite of passage, which is ingesting the, the spice. And um, and if they can survive because no male has ever survived. But Bene Gesserit witches do go through this and they do survive. It's the uh, it's the water of life. Water of life. Yeah, that's right. It's, so the, that's it's the like bile in the, the stomach of a, a young sand a young worm. worm. That's right. Yeah. And so if they can ingest this and 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 take this freaking super dimensional trip and survive, uh, then they will become the Kwisatz Haderach. Which is, will be the male leader of the entire like universe, the prophesied one. Yeah, and then what's even crazier, Winston, is they had he also had in there that oh the the Benny Gesserit this this uh, this guild or this group of witches they had forever been manipulating uh, bloodlines and breeding um, to eventually breed this Quizat's Hatterack because right. their thinking was if it's going to happen, it's prophesied. If we can make it happen, then we can control him. Right. And we will be the most powerful group in the universe. Another element to the, the power playing going on the game of Thrones esque power playing and political shuffling going on. Uh, they, I think they said, uh, 90 generations, uh, they've been doing that. So yeah, a really yeah. long time. Um, yeah, man, I tell you what, it's, uh, it's, it's, it was so cool when I, when I first, so when I first read Dune and, uh, I was just so freaking into it. I don't know if I told you a story, but, um, so someone who actually recommended Dune to me, they're older than me. After I had read it, they gave me like a big bag of magic mushrooms 
And I was like, I don't know, I was like 18 or 19 and with no instructions. I didn't know anything that I was doing. I just knew that I had read Dune and I was like, okay, I'm going to freaking <laughs> eat these mushrooms. And I, dude, I ate the whole bag of mushrooms and I went to the other side of the universe. And I have. Dude, you never, folded space time. I folded like a, space like time. Dude, spacing totally. guild pilot. <laughs> <laughs> and I went to the other side of the universe, and I swear I have never been the same. It was the it was the coolest, scariest, and, craziest experience of my life. I mean, I point I was thinking about 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 Paul in in the story and when he went through it because you know Frank Herbert he's describing man, listen man, this is what it's like, and it is not always pretty, and so. It was uh, it was cool. It was like as close to be, me being in VR, being uh, Paul Madib, and going through that experience, man. It was awesome. I love the psychedelic element to the story. And like I agree completely that the spice, in many respects, represents uh, psilocybin or the psilocybin experience. Uh, and it, like it says, it just opens your mind is the way they describe it in the book. Is it just being a mind opening experience? It expands your consciousness in much the way uh, the same way that psychedelic experiences do. And back in um, Native American cultures, they'd have young men go out and eat peyote on their own uh, and it would cause them to it's be a, sick. Go ahead. Isn't it crazy that in almost every culture, ancient culture, there is some type of rite of passage that involves um, that involves psychedelics? It's like, it's, how did that become extinguished once we hit the Industrial Revolution? Well, Why did society try and, and put that down? You because know? society – and I <laughs> – this is we're going to turn into a pod – not the podcast we're aiming to – I'm aiming to be. But I will say on a personal level, I just see that as the, you know, the powers that be – being very disinterested in having the general population have open minds. It's not very beneficial to the powers that be that, you know, the regular Joe have a psychedelic experience and realize, oh, wait a second, there's, you know, a lot more going on than this I at first bullshit. realized. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, this is bullshit. But you know what, though, Winston, I, I think that this is completely related to the podcast because I think that that's what science fiction does for us is science fiction allows us to step outside of our own culture. Because if I'm telling you, if I'm if I'm if I'm writing a book, even like Sabres of Paradise or whatever it is, you know, that's historical, we're going to have certain types of resistances based on our conditioning our social conditioning. And yet if we can see it through a, a somewhat different angle, like through a story where everything's kind of, cor of cor has a corollary, then all of a sudden we realize, Oh shit, like 1984, right? Absolutely. There is no big brother. There's no, but all of a sudden we look at our own world differently. Absolutely. And that's what psychedelics do for you. And that's, and, and you, if you, when you start to really look at the history of, of even in the golden era of, of great writers, man, they all, so many of them had like psychedelic experiences, even if it was just with cannabis, Carl Sagan, um, Aldous Huxley with brave new world. Mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. Dune it's, it, it's there. It's there. Let, let me clarify when I said it, it's not uh, what I'm aiming for with the podcast. Not, I don't mean to, to say that I don't want to talk about psychedelics and I don't want to talk about how that uh, fundamental change in the way your mind works is, often extremely helpful towards creativity that's not what i meant yeah, i don't think we're going to have many people that would say no you know i mean mass education all of it has to do with creating drones who are going to you know the lack of the, the, our, our quote unquote education is not exactly yeah it, you couldn't be more right uh, you know we're very often led to be a certain way to be a consumer and uh you know not to decide you know what i'm going to drop out of this and write dune instead Dead. Yeah, you know, I'm gonna, right. I, I'm right. instead of instead of just adding to the economy by being a worker and a consumer, I'm going to, you know, write the Tropic of Cancer or whatever it is. Uh, yeah, and, yeah. And those psychedelic experiences definitely make you reprioritize the things in your life. Uh, and I personally, I recommend that. You know, and I mean, I recommend taking a look at your life and seeing what you're doing and asking yourself why you're doing the things you're doing is it because it's what you want to really want to do in in your heart of hearts or is it what you're doing because it's what's expected of you by those around you uh and that's a question that 
you know, the the banks don't want you to ask for sure. Yeah, I know. No, I mean, you look at I think I think I think that's again, I think we're starting to hit on what is it that separates, uh, you know, from normal consumer or family sci fi to what we're really interested in. I think when you look at like where our interests lie, I think that's where it is. It's like these writers are challenging us. That's what great art does. Philip K. Dick was challenging us to say, look at reality. Mm -hmm. Reality is not what they're telling you it is. And uh, it's I find that just so compelling. And that's what Paul does, too. You know, in a lot of that's in, in the book. That's what Paul does, too. He has this this awakening, you know, the sleeper awakens, uh, which is a big theme in the book. And he looks at the whole system. He looks at the Chome company and he looks at the emperor and the way everything's being run. And he says, fuck this. I'm going to tear this down. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm going to stop production of spice on Arrakis. So that none of this can continue. Yeah. And, and, you know, this he becomes the savior by dismantling the system, not by, you know, saving the system. Yeah. Which I I think is a lot of the confusion with the whole savior notion these days is that some savior is going to come along to save the system that's already going. And I don't think that's that's a I feel like the idea has been sort of twisted around to kind of be like 180 of what it really should mean which is you know if you're going to really save the world you're going to have to change the system fundamentally yeah uh, and uh you know i do think that's a lot of what dune is about you know absolutely and- absolutely it's a very political very much and, and and you're right it's it's what's cool about it is it's like it's about first you can't you can't change anything until you have a personal metamorphosis yeah, and you you have to go through that transformation that inner transformation and that's one of my favorite aspects of stories is that uh that personal you know hero's journey that change that happens that happened to neo in the matrix it happened to luke it happened to paul Madib when he become you know paul atreides to where he becomes Mardib. Absolutely. And, and uh, Neo is a great, Neo is just the 21st century Paul. Yes. You know what I mean? It's yes. the same, it's the same, uh, uh, character prototype. It's yeah, the chosen, much the chosen so one. Than Luke because it's very much, you know, Luke had this spiritual really transformation between not having faith to having faith to where he was able to, to destroy the Death Star in the first one. But I love how the 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 change that Neo and Paul had to go through was really psychedelic, which was you need to wake up because everything you the way you see the world is wrong. Yeah, you're and being lied like, to. Holy moly. Yeah. When you get to that other side. It's like uh, it's like Neo just vomiting everywhere, puking on the on the spacecraft when he finds out. He's like, holy shit, you know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so okay, let, let's uh talk about the new movie that's coming out. I I'm hearing from what you're telling me that you're uh a little uh, hesitant to have uh hope for this movie. I think is what I'm hearing. I think I'm I'm just going to view it as another companion piece to be be where like listen the the heart of Dune is inside of me. That's where the story resides and you're just going to show me something that's going to Annihilation was kind of like that the movie where I yeah. really dug mm-hmm. I dug the books but in the movie was it really wasn't the books that I read, but I just looked at it, wow, well this is another journey into um where they were going. Area That's the pro- the, a lot of the problem with movies is, you know, uh, it's really hard to get all of the same ideas to express all of the same ideas from a book into a movie, just because there's so many of them. There yeah. are so, and you know, like you said, maybe a series would be able to capture that a little bit better. But I mean, how do you, what do you think? I mean, what are, what are your feelings well, for it? Uh, the director, uh, Denis Villeneuve, um, directed some pretty darn good movies. I personally thought Blade Runner 2049 was as good as you were going to get for a Blade Runner sequel. You know what I mean? I don't, the, the screenplay isn't perfect, but as far as atmosphere and feel and casting and just overall directing, I thought he did a really damn good job. I I enjoyed it. I thought it was great. I thought it was, it was a little monotone for me, but yeah, boy, uh, that's, that's a good word to describe it for sure. Well, it's, uh, it's definitely a great way to describe it. Uh, if, could you tell me the main actor's name real quick? I'm having I always blank on this actor. Ryan fellow, Gosling. Ryan Gosling. Yes, thank you. Yeah. Um, if you want to make something monotone, just cast Ryan Gosling. <laughs> um, I mean, I like I 
don't get me wrong. I think he's great. You know what I mean? I, and I, I like drive, even though he just stands there looking blank face through the whole movie. Uh, but, and that's pretty much what happens in Blade Runner as well. You know, it just says, yeah, I mean, that's, that's that you just brought up a really great point is that I, I loved it. I thought it was really good, but there was something missing. And what was missing was that was Harrison Ford's just ability to bring humor where there really isn't probably mm-hmm. wasn't much humor mm-hmm. in the script you know, he just has this self-deprecating way of where you're just kind of laugh with him when he's laughing at himself. And I didn't really get that out of uh, of Ryan Gosling. That's, yeah. that's a really good point, Winston. And Gosling's, a, I mean, again, I, I think he's probably the best suited actor you were going to get for that role. It's yeah. just trying to recapture the magic of what Ridley Scott did is, I mean... With it's just Ridley Scott and I mean just the cast and just is just Roger yeah it's Howell it's gonna be it's Harrison gonna be really Ford. difficult to do that uh, with this new one and there's some great stuff to Blade Runner but I what it, my point is is I think the directing was pretty strong yeah uh, and oh, I, I I loved it I'm in fact I'm inspired to go watch it again right now um and he also did Arrival which I thought was a pretty well directed movie Dude, as well I told you I love that movie man uh, and so he's a he's got some he's got some uh, uh some chops for sure. And I feel like if anybody in Hollywood is going to have a shot at creating a good version of Dune, it is him. Uh, and I'm excited about the cast. I think Timothy Chalamet would make a reasonable – could make a reasonable Paul. Uh, you've got Oscar Isaac, Josh Brolin, uh, Jason Momoa is in it. Uh, he's not the best actor in the world, but he could. he's a good character actor. And Dude, Javier- I think it's going to be so good, man. I mean, I mean, I think it's going to be so good in the sense that I'm going to, like I said, enjoy it as a companion piece. I just worry about people who haven't read the novel that they're right. actually going to be able to follow. I just well, think that is such a that's such an ask. Well, I don't he's see apparently how... going to split it into two films at least. Oh, so, okay. So right. I don't, it's going to be at least, but even still, I think the same problem comes up. Two films isn't all that much better. No, I just it's one probably going to end up being six hours or five hours at the least, probably five hours, probably six. And I think um, I still think it needs 12. And I just just yeah, because you I divide it expectations. Along. I think the expectations with the, the, the screenplay structure, it, it, it's going to be very difficult to hit all those beats that are that that audiences like really crave that they're used to whereas on a series you could spend more time like okay we don't have to have this big climactic fight right here we can just delve into this this and this for two hours i, I don't know and you, it's that one complicated of the, one of the well, I, like i said i just watched david lynch's dune last night and one of the and mm-hmm. i'm very i'm familiar with the story pretty much in and out uh, but one of the things that i noticed that would be very difficult is you're supposed to remember all of these names of not just characters, but planets of species of types of soldiers, all these crazy, you know, foreign alien words and phrases and names. And there's not a really a good opportunity to reinforce all of those uh, because the movie's so short. So when you hear a strange name, when you hear Quitsack's Hatterack, you know what I mean? You hear it the first time and it's total nonsense because it's it's the first time you're hearing it. And then it's explained to you what it is. But then when you hear it again, you know, 45 minutes later, you're like, oh, what the hell was that? What is that? I, I have no idea what that word means. Yeah. Uh, and because they only reinforced it, they were only given the opportunity to reinforce it just a touch. And they went back in and they did the voiceovers to try to, like, fix that. But it, it just was more clumsy than anything else, like kind of ham-fisted and uh, well, you know, you know what's interesting is I, I think that people are going to have an easier time, and and maybe if you were to read the novel today, it would it would almost be a little more, you would be a little more disappointed. But at the time that I read it, we I really wasn't familiar that familiar with middle Middle East terrorism, anything like that, and so you had he was he's so borrowed from the Middle East and conflict that he had words like jihad and all this were at the time I was like, what is that? What does that mean? What does this mean? What is that? So much of the, I think the, uh, the guard, there was so much of it that were analogs to what was happening in for hundreds of years in the Middle East. But now we're a little more familiar with it, right? Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Today's culture at least has, 24-hour news cycles, so we can at least have reporting on the Middle East. Yeah, all so we the have some. I, most the truth is, is that most of America still has no clue because they don't care. They don't want to know. You know what yeah. I mean? Because it doesn't it doesn't help them to know that that in their day-to-day lives because they're not trying to, um, 
you know, wake up. You know yeah. what I mean? The, 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 nice. And that's because, like you said, it's conditioning, you know? And yeah. here we are on the podcast talking shit on all of the regular Americans who don't want to go on psychedelic trips and see the world through, <laughs> you know, you know, take yeah, a, but you know what? They're not going to be listening to this podcast. Who cares? Good, yeah. You know, it, you, you guys, the, the important thing is that you're welcome here to do that. You know what I mean? Yeah. You're well, I, I want you to go on that. I want the sleeper to awaken yeah. for all, for oh, all God. of you guys. And, and you're right. They're not going to be listening to this, but maybe one of these listeners will share this to one of their friends who does need that. Yeah, and yeah. It will encourage it will encourage them to do so because we I, we want you on our side, man, for sure. Don't, oh, don't <laughs> I don't I don't hate you because you're uh, you're not awake yet. Just come no, on. No, it's it's like the whole neo thing. It's like you know, not everyone's ready to wake up, but if you are, here's how you do it. It and, just keeps reminding me of Philip K. Dick. I mean, for some reason, I keep coming back because I know you're such a Philip K. Dick. Fan. I am, man. I am. And, and, the, and I the, just, the way it can relate is, I mean, there's plenty of ways it can relate. Like the under uh his he loved to do pills was all in philip k dick stories it was always some pill not like the red Mm -hmm. pill blue pill but like some pill would give you some psychedelic experience like you'd suddenly be uh um one of the examples that comes to mind the most is uh uh the three stigmata of palmer eldritch where there there's a drug called uh choose z and choose z basically creates an entirely alternate reality for you to exist in that you can kind of control but then wow, you, I gotta read that. Oh man, it, oh that. please read. Let's. Oh. I'd love to. I'd love to do a podcast on just what's, that. Book. What's the name of it? It's called The Three Stigmata of Palmer Eldritch, and it's is, in the is future. It a short it's, story or is it? No, a it's book? a novel. It's a novel. It's probably my favorite. That one or uh, Ubik. Okay, uh, well, hold on. You got to settle on one. That one. Okay, no, no, no. Pick, 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 three stig. Three Stigmata is probably the one I'd recommend to you first. Okay, you definitely, you I'm gonna definitely, I'm gonna read that. I'm gonna get that and read we it. We should do a podcast we'll... on Philip K. Dick stories, uh, or just Philip K. Dick as a person. I'd like to do one of those pretty soon. But eventually, yeah. I'd like to do one just on Three Stigmata. No, uh, I'm, I'm gonna start reading that, and then readers, if you guys want to, uh, pick it up and uh, and start reading it also, and maybe in the next month we'll uh, we'll do a podcast on it. That sounds yeah. awesome. That sounds like a freaking cool idea man oh man it's it he, he uses that same similar idea uh, similar versions of that idea of like reality being not what you thought it was uh a right? lot but that's that's one that uh where it's done by specifically by a drug where no, the that's, drug that's is my point is that like that is what separates star uh, like the science fiction that we love from star wars because yeah. There is just a message. Carl Sagan had a message, you know, where Star Wars is like, yeah, there's a message, but it's just fun. And it's bad is bad. I love it. And that's the that's all you need to know is that the guy in the white is the good guy and the guy in the black (laughs) is, you know, you know. Yeah, I mean, I say that, but Luke is totally wearing black in uh, Empire Strikes Back and. So, you know, it's not like, no, I love not, that when he's like almost a dark Jedi. No, it's, it's, and he, I think he's wearing black in all of the new, the most recent movies as well, or at least yeah. mostly. Um, but yeah, you know, I just as like a, a simple comparison, you're right. Like, I feel like it just doesn't, it doesn't twist your mind the way these other ones do. And yeah, I mean, p- Philip K. Dick and Dune and Frank Herbert, those are these are all gray. There's so much gray area. There's yes. so much in the Dune universe. Paul Atreides really almost, you know, spoilers becomes like an a, a villain, you know, and uh, and there's so many. He shades takes power. Of gray. Yeah. What's that? As well, he certainly takes power. That's for sure. Ooh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, and, it's insane. And it, you know, one of these days we'll do a podcast about some of the sequels. Although I am nowhere near as familiar with the sequels as you, I, I understand you are. So, uh, like, I, I'll get a chance to catch up with. A, I read a couple of them when I was way younger, but I only stopped after like two. Yeah. So oh, I'm so good. They're so uh, good. It's it's genius what his son did, and and the love that uh, that they have for the universe that he created. Because basically, what they did was. You know, we talked a little bit about how you have like the the mining guild and you have the Benny Gesserit. Well, he went back and said, OK, I'm going to write an entire novel about the Benny Gesserit, you know, or I'm going to write. There was a at some point in the history of Dune, there was a Butlerian Jihad in which they there was a revolution against because in the Dune universe, 
there is no artificial intelligences allowed. They have destroyed, they almost had a genocide in the past against any kind of artificial intelligence. No thinking machines is what they talk, call them. Right. And so then, you know, and you you allude to that, but they allude to that kind of like how um, Obi-Wan Kenobi in uh, A New Hope alludes to there was this thing called the Clone Wars. Well, he went back and they went back and they just did this whole thing about the Butlerian Jihad and how and that was to me one of the greatest books I've ever read. It just totally sticks with me. And uh, it was really cool, man. I mean, he went through every they go through every different aspect. What happened to like the Imperial family, the evil family, the Harkonnens, why are they like that? Well, they started out in the uh, in the source material, in that early material, they started out as, as good guys. And then they go through the evolution of how they became an evil house. And then you go through the Atreides. Oh, man. That's, I'd, so love cool. to read, I'd love to read about that stuff because the way the Harkonnens are presented in Dune, the first novel, they're just – repulsive evil. and evil just so oh, like, yeah and the, Baron, the Baron Harkonnen is so evil but it's his origin story dude you would love it it's yeah, so I, cool I will definitely get get on that so yeah. you know and the but writing's they, good you, I think the writing's better than Dune too so okay uh, I, uh, so though some some of the listeners might not know but uh, uh, Frank Herbert the author of Dune wrote several sequels but then his son Brian took over writing the sequels and then wrote a bunch probably more than frank did i think oh much more and, and he wrote uh he, he has a writer that he writes with and uh i think they just do an incredible job the writing is very like the last the second two books that frank gerber wrote man i think they're terrible they just get worse and worse and and it was you know i read them but it was like, oh gosh, it's, yeah, it's it just didn't compare to Dune. The magic will fade away eventually, you know. You can only you can only squeeze so much blood from the stone or whatever, as they say. Yeah, uh, I don't it, think it that's what they very say. Difficult. <laughs> it becomes You know what happens, man, is that this this is an important thing to talk about in in sci-fi and and really in storytelling is that you have this hero's journey that um that some like Neo goes through, right? And he goes through this arc and he comes from being like the you know the the awkward clumsy kid who goes through this rite of passage and becomes a warrior and then avenges and you know does good like luke and and neo the next book what do you do you know or, or even tony stark from iron man it's like what do you do when that story well what they did genius wise with the iron man is they're like okay we're gonna really hammer his flaws and make him go through that hero's journey again and where they just didn't Frank or he just didn't do that in the second two books. And so you almost don't even have a hero to follow. Yeah, that's what that and, actually when I've read the second two books, that actually is what made me fall off of reading the series is because they seemed a little aimless to me. Totally. Yeah, and, totally. and they were still cool and the writing was still interesting and fascinating, but it didn't seem like the plot was driving towards anything. No, specific. you weren't compelling. You didn't you weren't invested in these characters because when someone once someone becomes Superman it's like, okay, what, what, you're invincible. What's, what do we do now? You know, and, that, and that's kind of, like I said, that's kind of what, like what happened with, uh, with the, the next two matrixes. It's, uh, it's yep. like, eh, not really as he cool. He can already dodge bullets, bullets guys. Okay. You know, he's, he's already, he's already the chosen one. We know already. Yeah. We got it. But, but think about it. Like where empire strikes back was so great. Was that, okay, well, Luke has to now, yes, he be, he grew at the end of star Wars, but now he's got to become a Jedi. And so we're back going through that hero's journey with him. Well, he in the in the second one he really faces, you know, uh, the dark side a lot harder. You know, in the second yeah. one, all, everything goes wrong. He gets his hand cut off. He think you yep. know he learns that Vader's his father. Everything goes wrong for him. So in you know it's almost like Job from the Bible. You know what I mean? Like the dark side really tests him. Yeah, really, that's really a great hard. analogy, right? Isn't uh, it? See, that's where Joseph Campbell got it. He's like, listen, man, these stories, these archetypal typical stories are just as old as time. We tell them to each other again and again and again because ultimately that as human beings, that's what defines us from monkeys, you know, and is that we can change. We can change and we need to change. We need to grow and become absolutely, better. Absolutely. Um, yeah. uh, all right, well, bit, listen, hold on. Ahead. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to let you know we are like at an hour. Okay. And, um, so let's, uh, let's give ourselves like a few minutes because last night, I don't know, I don't know if I told you this, but 
I was uh, I was at the bar and I was on my bike because I don't like to drink and drive. I don't I won't drink and drive. And so I rode my bike home and dude, I was like going curb to curb to curb from one side of the street to the other. And I was like, <laughs> oh my gosh, am I going to make it home right now? What am I doing? <laughs> oh boy! So I have about five more minutes of me. That's it. That's almost done. Uh, yeah, I, I uh, it just had the longest week getting the mag. It took the printer was late getting my magazines in and I finally got them in and then I had to do all this preparing to get this event done and then we got the event done last night and then by the time we got home by the time i finished watching dune with my wife it was like midnight and then i woke up this morning and packed uh copies to send out and until i was ready to do this with you and then as soon as i'm done with this i'm gonna go back and pack more copies so hey when are we getting our magazine if you pre-ordered a copy it's coming i'm doing it right now i'm I'm working i'm working i'm doing it right now don't worry to work i'm gonna go get to work uh so dune is great if you haven't seen dune or Red Dune, I'm sorry. If you haven't read the book, go read the book. Go read the book. It's life-changing. It really, it really is. is. And it's long, and uh, it's got a lot of funny words in it, but you'll get past that, I promise. Yeah, let, let yourself get through a few chapters because it, it is uh, it can be a little bit tedious, but it, it really picks up. It's dope. I'd recommend it also. All right. Uh, so, uh, do we have any idea what we're going to talk about next time? Yet, or are we just gonna? I don't know, man. I hope that listen, readers, listeners, oh. um, Instagram followers, hit us on Instagram with uh, with some ideas. Yeah, what you totally. Like us to co- cover, and we'd love to talk about it. Man. We want to we want to talk about the things that interest you guys. You yeah. know, obviously, we want to talk about the stuff that interests us because you know we will be able to talk about those things. But uh, you know, I'm sure there's some common ground, obviously, because you're listening to a science fiction podcast after all. Uh, I'm sure some of the things you're interested in hearing about will be things that we're also interested in. And can yeah, take, I mean, some I of the things that you can talk about are, are, are either novels, short stories, movies, movies, even even subjects like best heroes or best villains and sci-fi, best whatever it is. Music, you know, like seriously, about. hit us with all the subjects, and we'll we'll filter it out and we'll find the good ones and we'll bring those to you. Uh, I love that as the as the weeks come by. Okay, so we're gonna be getting our uh, that's it for Dune. Um, I it's it's really one of those subjects, Winston, that we could talk about forever. There's so yeah. much we did talk about, which is so cool, you know. I mean, at some point we might want to revisit and just yeah, have a subject where we'll just right talk out of about my mouth. this. Maybe after yeah. the movie, that's a that's in a year from now is when the movie is coming out. So after, maybe okay. we'll do another episode in a year after the the uh, Denis Villeneuve movie has come out, and we can, uh, you know. See if our mute, yeah. See if our yeah, yeah. I really really tear into it. Just destroy that movie. What are you thinking? Making a Dune? No, we'll see. see. (laughs) (laughs) How could you disappoint us like Lucas? No, I'm stoked. I can't wait, man. I'm really pumped. All right, bro. Well, this was good, man. I'm glad we got to uh, knock this out, and we'll be back in uh, a few weeks. Again, subscribe. Follow us on Instagram. I am uh, Nick the Tooth on instagram and winston give us your handles you can, you can find us at at infinite worlds magazine uh you find us on uh twitter at ig or i'm sorry at iw sci-fi mag you can find us on facebook uh infinite worlds magazine the website's infiniteworldsmagazine.com um sign up for the mailing list all those things uh and obviously you can hit us up all the contact info is on there just send me a dm on instagram i'll hit you back all right, sweet. We'll be getting those magazines, I guess, in the next week, huh? It's yeah, that's the, right on time for Christmas, bro. Yeah, I'm, so I'm trying getting in just under the wire here, but you know, it's 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 getting there, so don't worry. Sweet, sweet. That's gonna be awesome, man. I can't wait. All right, brother, I appreciate it, man. All right, dude. We'll talk to you soon. Late. Be safe and enjoy the holidays. Our theme song was by Christopher Whitaker, and our podcast graphics were by Sam the Man. You can find him at monitor underscore studio on Instagram. Adios.